Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. This is Brave Little State. I'm Sabine Pooks. And I'm Andrea Lorian. Andrea, the last time we had you on here was for our Road Names episode last summer. That's right. I uh, investigated the origin of the name Hateful Hill Road with uh, former BLS intern Maine Nagusky. It was a good time. Well, it's so nice to have you back on the mic. You're usually behind the scenes producing Vermont Edition. It's true. Yeah, I'm usually the one in the producer booth, you know, making things happen. Well, welcome back to the show, Andrea. And welcome back to all of you. Brave Little State is Vermont Public's listener-powered journalism show. In this episode, Andrea and I answer a question from Diane Church of Fairly. And my question is, how do our public libraries manage to stay alive and vibrant in this age of technology? Diane is on the board of trustees at the public library in Fairly, which means she cares about libraries maybe more than your average question asker. And she's amazed by the work that libraries do to cater to all corners of their communities. How do you keep bringing in younger people and addressed all the different needs from children up through, you know, early young adults and then on to our adults. How do you how do you do that? There are almost 200 libraries in Vermont, ranging from the large Fletcher Free Library in downtown Burlington to the tiny bedroom sized Charles D. Brainerd Library in West Danville, which clocks in at just 11 by 17 feet. They also vary widely in terms of their budgets. Vermont is one of a handful of states that doesn't provide annual aid to public libraries, aside from occasional grants. So it's kind of every library for itself. And there are two main ways that typically goes for public libraries. Some get the vast majority of their funding from local taxpayers. Those are called municipal libraries, and they're essentially their own town departments. The second kind of public library is an incorporated library. These libraries get a bit of their funding from their towns and the rest from fundraising. That often means funding is more irregular. And according to a recent report prepared for the legislature, librarians describe, quote, gross inequities in library services statewide. By the way, there are also school and academic libraries, including one that had a controversial response to Diane's question about adapting to changing technology, Last year, Vermont State University proposed moving to a mostly digital library system to cut costs. That plan received a lot of pushback and was later reversed. For this episode, to answer Diane's question, we each spent time at a different public library. And we had a pretty great time. Yay! (laughs) It's probably going to end in disasters, but... Books, 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 books. And sometimes we play board games. Almost everyone in here is my friend. Brave Little State is a proud member of the NPR Network. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. 
Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Washington County in central Vermont is home to one of the most well-funded libraries in the state, the Waterbury Public Library. It's a municipal library. Remember, that means it gets nearly all of its funding from the town of Waterbury. And while a lot of Vermont's libraries are old and in desperate need of repairs, that's not the case here. The library's housed in a beautiful two-story building that's just a few years old. When I visit in January, my time is divided into two very separate periods. The time before the kids arrive and the time after. The before time is quiet, a by-the-book library. Two people work at desks. A volunteer puts books back on the shelves. That's until 3 p.m., when the first school busload of kids arrives. They just finished the school day. The school bus has a stop right in front of the library, or really the library complex. It's a big modern building attached to the town offices and set right off the roundabout in town. And immediately, these kids have a lot of questions for me. Oh, are we on the news? Are you going to take pictures? Are you a reporter? I like your earrings. What? They're so cool. What's this all about? A handful of kids dump their coats on the ground and beeline for the rows of computers on the first floor. Annika Hackett watches over Adeline Lavallee's shoulder as she clicks through some games online. And then you try to get up to here. Yeah, water Today there's cooking club from 4 to 5. Uh, never done it before, but apparently this this week it's literally just pu- putting a bunch of random stuff into a waffle iron. Sounds <laughs> fun. It's probably going to end in disasters, but... Adeline and Annika are in the third and fourth grades. In the winter, this is where they come most days after school. Can you guys show me around the library? Yeah, yeah. Um, towards the back is the picture books kids section. The kids' section is the whole back area of the library, with big windows facing the snowy soccer field and cross-country ski track. They host story time back here for toddlers and their parents. Next, the young adult section. This is where Adeline and Annika's favorite books are, the graphic novels. One of the books that I'm reading is Amal Unbound. It's a really good book about a 12-year-old Amal's dreams of becoming a teacher are crushed in an instant when she's talks back to the um, richest man in town. There's also a whole floor of the library upstairs where the adult section is. Upstairs is so quiet. How quiet? Um, Enough that you could hear a mouse walking around. (laughs) We hop on the elevator to take a peek. Do you guys ever spend time in the adult section? Um, There's like coloring up there, so yeah. Yeah, there the chairs up there are pretty cool, and there's actually, like, a little, um, it's pretty peaceful up there. There's, like, a little waterfall out of the wall. Like, super tiny, but it's nice. That's very peaceful. Yeah. Nice, nice view of the soccer fields. <laughs> you can spy on people who are playing soccer. It is very quiet up here. There's someone working at a table near one of the windows. The lights are pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah, the lights. Okay, this is the 
inaugural uh, Willet Waffle class at Waterbury Public Library. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. At 4 p.m., it's time for Cooking Club, led by Sandra Schweikert. We took a poll, and the winners for our menu for today were pizza and brownies. Yes, they're making pizza and brownies in waffle irons. Sandra is the youth librarian at Waterbury, which means she wears many hats. Teacher, social worker, babysitter, and now waffle iron chef. She and another volunteer are pressing bread and sauce and chocolate batter into irons as a bunch of kids hungrily stand around. Sandra thought it would be fun to have a cooking club at the library but there's no kitchen in the space. So the waffle irons are her workaround. These are borrowed and like some parents donated the waffle irons. And mm-hmm. We've cobbled together every like measuring thing, cutting thing, bowl, <laughs> spatula. I mean, it's not extravagant. Yeah, we're, we're pretty resourceful. Resourceful, that's a word that comes up a lot. That's because libraries are always thinking of ways to use every penny even really well-funded libraries like this one. We're very lucky, I think, to be to get the support that we do from the town of Waterbury. This is Rachel Muse, the library's director. And we're a municipal library, which means that we're a town department. Uh, the vast majority of our budget comes from the taxpayers of Waterbury. Huge, huge thanks to the taxpayers for all the sort of support that they give us. Residents last year agreed to a property tax increase to cover growing staff costs there, bringing the annual budget of the library to almost $560,000. The library has three full-time and four part-time staff and is open six days a week. So this building was built in 2016, so we're still pretty new uh, by Vermont library standards. Very, very new. The kids who use the library most they say it's different from spending time at home or at school. You can do more things, and it's not like you're getting bossed around. Annika Hackett and Adeline Lavalley, the kids who showed me around earlier. At school, it's like, okay, so you're going to do this, and then you're going to do that. But at the library, you just get to pick. Yeah, like, you get to pick your own books. You get to pick if you want to go on the computer. You have a bit of freedom and your own way of picking what you want to do. Normally, I come once a week on Mondays. Back at Cooking Club, nine-year-old Hazel Dean is waiting for her pizza waffle to cool. Well, sometimes I normally go with my friend, and sometimes we play board games like Battleship and stuff. And sometimes it's really calm, so it's a good place to work on writing the book we're writing together. The book she's writing is called Dragons, based on a game she and her friends play at recess. It's a chapter book with some pictures in it, She's on the second chapter. And her friend Lillian is editing the story. They meet at the library to work on it together. Why did you choose her to be the editor for your book? Because she's the highest speller in our class. And she writes a lot of books, so she knows, like, if she should have less excitement or more excitement, or if she should have, like, romance, or, like, what twists it should have. And she's helped me a lot. It's not just kids like Hazel, Adeline, and Annika who use the library. There's chair yoga for older residents, help with taxes and baby story time. And for the most part, these are things visitors do together. I'll admit that's something that surprised me. No one at the library was shushing each other. It was all very social. Like you see how other people are doing, you see what other people are struggling struggling with, and you say, oh, I'm not alone. Youth librarian Sandra Schweikert again. As we saw in the pandemic when 
people maybe had access to online school, but not the community or the social learning together. I think many people really struggled with being isolated and not having access to a social learning environment. And I think that's part of what public libraries do for all walks of life in this day and age still, and it's critical, and it's not something we can do or replace with just technology in many cases. Sandra thinks this is especially important for a demographic that is notoriously missing from many libraries, teenagers. I've heard over and over a struggle for many libraries is to get teens to come in. And so we're very lucky on that level. Like, they like being here. The evening I visit, there's a group of teenagers hanging out in the conference room. Hi, Hello. how are you guys? What's you, going on? Do you have hot glue and carpet cutters? This group has been meeting at the library every month for two years for Queer Reads, a book club for LGBTQ plus kids. Or as 14-year-old Michelle Shank calls it, Technically, it's queer. You call it gay book club? Everybody calls it gay book club. <laughs> the book club was the invention of the previous youth librarian, who noticed there were a lot of teenagers coming in and asking for books with queer characters. At the peak, there were about a dozen kids in the club. Each month, they read a book and talk about whether there was good representation or not. For the most part, we are usually um, in relative agreement. I will say, a lot of times we get very, very heated discussions about which characters are good or not. Eventually, Queer Reads spawned other clubs, like Art Club. We converted it into Gay Book Club, the sequel. When I come into the multi-purpose room for Art Club, Michelle's quietly playing an unplugged electric bass. Two other teenagers with brightly dyed hair are cutting up a bunch of cardboard for a project. 14-year-old Robin Wigand is cropping a pink gorilla's t-shirt and clicking around on a laptop. Almost everyone in here is my friend, and we're, we just get along easily, and it's fun, and we eat food, and we talk about our experiences, and we don't judge, and we don't really share them with other people outside of this space. They seem like conversations they could be having anywhere. So why here? Well, my school bus, actually the one I usually ride, just dumps like a ton of people off here every day. And it's really easy to just go here and have the resources of the library and not be bothered by small siblings and whatnot. I mean, kind of, we can be as relatively loud and outspoken about whatever we want to be. This room, it like, it has become sort of a, sort of a brain response where it's like, okay, I'm in this room. We're good. Stress is let go of. It's just kind of like a a sort of a happy place. And we have decorated it with our us-ness. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Brave Little State. I'm Sabine Pooks. In the first part of the episode, we visited the library in Waterbury, a well-funded municipal library with rich programming for kids and young adults. Now we head to Lamoille County to visit an incorporated library— meaning it's governed by a board of directors and supported more through fundraising than through town or city dollars. My colleague Andrea Lorian takes it from here. About 37 miles north of Waterbury sits the Varnum Memorial Library in Jeffersonville. It's a cute but modest two-room building right on Main Street, painted white with yellow trim. When I visit in January, it's a typical dreary day outside. 
but inside. Good morning. Good morning. Good, how are you? Hello. Yes, I'm Andrea. <laughs> it's warm and cheerful and welcoming. Are you Aurora? I am. Aurora, so good to meet you. I'm so pleased to meet you. Thank I'm you so, so excited to be here. This is so cute. From the moment I walk in, I'm enveloped by Aurora River, director of the Varnum Library. She has long red hair and a bright smile. Calm music plays on speakers overhead as Aurora shows me around the two rooms that make up the space. The first is the original library. But you can see we have a beautiful fireplace um, that adds some lovely ambiance. That's actually one of our next big tasks is we've got to shore up the chimney because it's currently leaking. She also points out a few computers, workstations. Everything is carefully organized around this one room. We try and and just be creative and fluid in how we rearrange as what the space is needing to be used for. So a lot of times tables will be pushed apart, will be put together. We have plastic tables that we're able to erect in the other side of the of the other side of the building so that we can use that space as well. Above the fireplace, the one with the leaking chimney, other words, why we heart our library. All along the wall are colorful hearts that read great people and fabulous programs. I approach one patron as she secures her heart to the wall. Um, I'm Jean Yankowskis, and I'm from three doors down from this door in Jeffersonville. (laughs) A couple days ago, they asked if I had anything to share about what I like about our little local library. And um, I wanted to think about it a little bit, and didn't take much, though. And I put down two things, um, books, 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 (laughs) and, um, and the staff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, our local library has always, always meant a lot to me. It's had its ups and downs. We'll probably continue to do so. Um, but it's just, is and always will be an institution close to my heart. Back in the 80s, a big fundraising effort led to an expansion in the form of the library's second room. Yeah, let's move into here. Mm-hmm. So you can see this is a little more modern. We have matching bookshelves um, that line the Colorful paintings hang on one side of the new space. On the other, there's a giant paper tree with cut-out apples, acorns, and outlines of children's hands to symbolize leaves. When you walk into this room, you are kind of just overwhelmed with color and with art and creativity, and that's kind of our intention because this is more of our community space. Um, that that younger people use. I was going to say, we have the children's books right here in front of us Mm -hmm. that add to that color, too. Again, as it's just one room, we try and make um, noticeable divisions so that our young adults have a dedicated space in that corner. Mm -hmm. Aurora says she's still trying to figure out how to get more teens into the library. One Saturday a month, the library holds a teens teaching technology program where high schoolers help older patrons with their devices. The group met just before I arrived. That was, that was nice to have that energy in here this morning. The Varnum also holds teen advisory board meetings. It's an opportunity for local teenagers to guide programming and have a dedicated time and space to hang out. Aurora lays out cold cuts, cheese slices, and veggies, but she's otherwise hands-off. When I stop by, there are just two teenagers in attendance. There ends up being plenty of extra lunch materials for the mothers and toddlers playing nearby. 
Aurora continues showing me around the library and opens a door to reveal a closet-sized space known as the Vermont Room. It's currently crammed full of local odds and ends, but Aurora thinks it would better serve the community as a quiet workspace for students to do their homework. Hopefully, at some point, will be a place where people can do some type of study or research and have a little bit of privacy, a little bit more quiet, because we do lack that here. With a budget that changes year to year, Aurora says it's hard to dedicate funds to these sorts of improvements, especially when the Varnum has such a key role to play in addressing day-to-day needs. Oh, wow, wait, what's, oh, what's this? This... It's around this point in the tour that I can't help but notice this stuffed animal, an orangutan. It's sitting on a shelf with a knitted hat on its head and surrounded by knitting books. On the wall, there's a sign. Mr. Orangutan is willing to share his winter hats with anyone in need. So this is one of our beloved mascots of the library, Mr. Orangutan. Most children call him Monkey, but he is an orangutan. And one of our patrons intentionally crochets and knits hats year-round, and then they donate these hats to us. So these hats go out the door like you wouldn't believe. We just we have people in the community who have a need, and they take the hats. The Varnum helps address other community needs as well, like reliable Internet. My name is Frank Davis. I'm a grumpy old curmudgeon who lives in the woods, so if I didn't come here, I probably wouldn't get any socialization at all. Do you live locally, Frank? I live in Underhill. Um, I do not have internet access at home, so I come here for internet. That's once a day. Yeah, <laughs> at least once a day. It's sort of become vital these days. Local families also need reliable internet, especially if children are learning from home. So uh, my kids are homeschooled, we're homeschoolers, and so we spend a lot of time in the library. Everything from getting information to connecting with other people. This is Iona Mina, and she's here with her two kids, ages 10 and 12. I'm Gabrielle Giroir. Uh, I'm Miriam Giroir. What do you like about the library? Well, honestly, there is a lot of books, and as a homeschooler, I, I go through books like really easily. So the library, when it's really close, that always really, really helps. What books do you like? Uh, I've been liking poetry. I just kind of wanted to read more of that. I mean, right now I'm reading classical poetry, so I thought uh, if I read more, I can make more. So. I returned to the Varnum the following afternoon. There's been some intense wind and rain overnight, and power outages. Aurora says it's shaping up to be a busy day. We had people coming in to charge their devices, to check their email. We had a couple of people that just wanted to come in and sit in heat and with lights on. Increasingly, Aurora sees this as the role of libraries. Not so much a place for cutting-edge digital resources and technology, More so, it's about serving as a haven for locals to come and have their needs met, whatever they may be. We have Narcan, we have harm reduction supplies, we have feminine um, hygiene supplies. We keep snacks here. We have coffee, hot tea, and hot chocolate for anyone and everyone that wants it. And I think that that's 
kind of indicative of what libraries are now, right? It's not just about academics and diversions. It's about points of connection, and all people need those points of connection. I have people that come in that sit, that are in crisis, physically, mentally, um, emotionally, and they just sit here and they need this space. Even if we don't talk, they just need a space to be and to know that they are welcomed here and they belong here. Mm-hmm. And that that is my experience working in libraries, trying to meet the needs of the community with the resources that we have, always knowing that there's more we could do. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thank you to Diane Church for the great question. To see photos from our reporting in a full episode transcript, click the link in the show notes or head to our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the BLS newsletter. We're also on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. This episode was reported by Andrea Lorian and me, Sabine Pooks. It was produced by Burgess Brown. Editing and additional production from Josh Crane. Angela Evansy is Brave Little State's executive producer. Our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Catherine Del Neo, Oceana Wilson, Deanna Romstad, Max Malin, Carol Plant, Sarah Lloyd, and Paul Dunn. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public and a proud member of the NPR Network. If you like our show, you can make a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate or leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Thanks for listening. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.